Hello, and welcome to the first of our podcasts. We've called them Cargofield Talks, and at a time when we can't welcome parents on site and communicate as we normally do, we hope to pass on some of our expertise and perhaps tackle some of the issues that are facing children and parents in the age range of our school. That's for three to 13-year-olds. My name's Rob Taylor. I'm the headmaster at Cargofield School. We're a prep school based in Barnton to the northwest edge of Edinburgh, and we're about to celebrate our 150th anniversary, a period of time in which our school has developed into one of the leading prep schools in Scotland and the north of England. Now, our first podcast will deal with the subject of mental health for younger children, hopefully a topical subject, and particularly this the first week of February that's been termed Children's Mental Health Week by the, the charity place to be. When I first started running a prep school nearly 20 years ago, parents and teachers would have looked puzzled if you'd used the phrase mental health. Now, of course, it's a term that's on everyone's lips, and with good cause. Teachers and other school staff have had to become much more adept at spotting and supporting the emotional difficulties of children in their schools. And I've found that issues that were either unheard of or considered senior school problems, the likes of eating disorders, self-harming or severe anxiety, are now things that are being faced by pre-teen children. And if that were a major concern a few years ago, then of course the start of lockdown and the days spent on screens and away from friends have only exacerbated this. Place to be suggests that one in six children and young people have a diagnosable mental health condition. That figures up from one in nine in 2017. Likewise, they suggest that half the adults who suffer long-term mental health problems have experienced their first symptoms by the age of 14, just as they're leaving our care. It might not surprise you that 85% of the children that place to be support have said that the pandemic has negatively affected them. And with waiting times for access to children and adolescent mental health services getting longer, COVID-19 is not the only crisis facing the NHS. So I'm asking the question, what can we as teachers and parents do about it? At Cargofield, Claire McAteer is our school counsellor. She also works in private practice and for the Wellbeing Academy, which is an organisation in Fife that offers affordable counselling for children and young people. At Cargofield, she supports parents and staff with more serious issues that we can't manage in-house. I met up with her online this week and asked her how she thought this problem might be affecting some of the younger children in our school. This is always interesting because the pre-teen age group is obviously less verbal, less able with language and less able to express any issues they have. The presentation in, say, from the nursery age upwards to maybe about 11, kind of 10, 11, 12, where puberty is really kicking in, can be really difficult for parents to recognise because the changes that happen anyway are normal and you don't know, is this normal or is this different? So the the presentation in, in, in preteens can often be a withdrawal, a silence. What I would suggest is always to be watching out for any changes that are very unusual for your child. Really listen to what your child is telling you, because they will be trying 
to express any level of distress they're experiencing. All children will do this. Some are more capable with language and will speak a lot and not so capable with language and will act out or will kick off or will get suddenly angry about things. And this isn't necessarily just pushing at the boundaries because of their age. It may be. But if you feel there's something a little bit more to it, then this is potentially a communication of distress and something is happening for them that they don't understand and they're not managing. Therefore, this this feeling is coming out. Are, are there any ways in particular that you'd recommend to help children <clears throat> articulate their feelings? Because because I think we all know that not all children, as you've suggested, are very good at talking about their feelings. Are, are there any tips that will help that? Well, part of the counselling process, and I'm not saying everyone has to go into counselling, but part of the counselling process for younger children is play. And by using the medium of play, the children learn to express their feelings in a way that the adults, in the counselling case, me, but in other cases, the parent, can maybe interpret for them. So there is a potential of allowing them the um, exposure to new language because it's really important to identify the feelings and the emotions that the child is experiencing. And they won't know. They won't understand what's happening for them. But if they express that through play and if the adult or the parent is attentive enough and attuned enough to go, is this what's happening for this little doll or this animal or whatever? And then maybe correlate the two together. I mean, this is I'm making it very fast. This is a slow process of is that how you're feeling sometimes when you get angry? Learning to identify those emotions is really reassuring for young children. And then to understand that the parent has some idea of what's happening. And that is true communication. And that starts a reassuring process of understanding. Play is the important thing, but it's the listening and the watching and attending to your child's level of language, but allowing that language to be developed age appropriately, obviously. But as soon as they have a label for something, it makes a huge difference that if they can identify what they're feeling as anger or frustration or something else, and that makes sense to them, it has to be meaningful. Obviously, they have to understand what frustration is to them. And it, you can act it out. You know, it's that feeling of, oh, I can't cope, I can't cope. That's called frustration. That's what I would call frustration. And I do this sometimes. That's the kind of thing that really helps. I mean, there are other ways to help all forms of mental wellness that you can go forward to. But in the position of somebody in distress, it's always go into a one to one, listen to your child, respect what your child is telling you always and try and just be reassuring and say you're there for them. And give them the time and the space because they need to work it out as well in their own head. There's a lot of processing that goes on. And I suspect parents should have the confidence to, to recognise those differences and changes in, the, in their child because, of course, they, they know they'll know their child very well. So even if they're not an expert in, in mental health or in psychology, they do know their children well and should be able, should recognise those differences and changes. Absolutely. But that's also a good point is that the confidence of a parent is often compromised by especially a first child. You find it grows with a second and maybe more. But that first child, you have a parent that isn't really sure what they're doing, especially in the younger stages. And they hope they're doing it right. And then suddenly maybe something goes wrong with that child. That child isn't behaving or doing what the other children do. 
that parent, especially a mother, I have to say, can take that in as an internal criticism of themselves. So that's always very difficult. And it's good to work with a child that's young, actually with the parent as well, to try and say, if, if you're feeling bad about this somehow, actually, you have been watching your child and you have been learning. And let's just take this out of that position of it's your fault, because it's nobody's fault. It's just a matter of understanding and trying to communicate. So, yes, I mean, I would love all parents to be confident enough to say mm, this isn't quite right. And you normally have an innate sense which that, that, you, can, I mean, that, you should trust. That makes a lot. I mean, that makes an awful lot of sense to me. And I, yes, having confidence as parents. If you are in that situation as a parent, though, and you are worried, making that next step might be quite difficult. What would your advice be to them in terms of what the first step should be if they've got concerns about their child? I think if there, if there are any concerns at all on the child's behaviour, the first thing you do is have a think about it yourself and have some get some reading done, get some learning done on, on your own. Obviously, you can ask any advice from a medical professional or a counsellor. But I think in the first instance, if that child is at school, is get into the school and work with the school and see what's happening in school. And is that child displaying the same problems that you are concerned about in school there has to be a whole picture and there has to be communication between the school and home and also remembering that the child is usually part of a family dynamic and if that is the case then the whole family needs to maybe reflect on what's happening with the family as a unit the child doesn't exist just on its own having distress or an issue and also talk to the child praise and encourage the child always as much as you can but find out as much as you can do your research but work with the school is what I would say. Thank you. Well, as, as a head teacher, I'd, I'd certainly recommend that last point. And finally, Claire, there are going to be a lot of parents listening whose children are not necessarily displaying any signs of anxiety or any concerns, but might still be very interested in making sure that they're giving their children the necessary resilience and strength mentally to be able to cope with what might be coming up over the next few weeks and months. Are there any particular tips or pieces of advice that you could give to parents keen to build their children's mental health and, and strength? I mean, I think we need to be mindful of the fact that mental health is actually just the overall wellness of how you think and regulate your feelings and behave. You know, we need to remember that what we're talking about is something that is appropriate for all of us. We all should be physically healthy and mentally healthy. So in order to maintain that, if I may, actually, can I just read you a quote from a therapy magazine, Please which do. I can reference for you? It's Michael Coombs, his PhD student. This is relating to COVID in particular, but it's how the parents might manage it. And it, I think it applies to all parental situations with children. If this is kept in the back of your mind, this is going to be more helpful. So he says sensitive and effective communication about life threatening illness has major benefits for children and their families long term psychological well-being. Listening to what children believe about COVID-19 transmission is essential. Providing children with an accurate explanation that is meaningful to them will help to ensure that they do not feel unnecessarily frightened or guilty. Honesty offers not only an understandable explanation for what children are observing, but also grants permission for children to safely talk about their own feelings, normalising their emotional reactions and reassuring children about how the family will look after each other help to contain anxiety. And, and I see that as part of how you know, I'd love all parents to be with their children. It's 
being honest, being open, being transparent. If you don't have the answer, say so. Be honest about it. Seek the answer together if you can. If there is no answer, again, be honest about that. Hold the uncertainty for the child because that is difficult and that is a very adult, mature part of behavior growing up. Um, and the child learns it from adults. So saying we don't know, but we're going to be okay anyway is really important for them to understand. And that's how their anxiety by not having answers can be contained. Thank you. I mean, that's clearly that's particularly relevant to COVID at the moment, but but to other situations, crises, problems that families face, that um, that's a, that a similar approach, I suppose, can be taken to those. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think if that is used as some kind of backbone of, of how a family can work together, all families go through all sorts of different things. Nobody has no issues, no traumas. This is particular because it's on a society level. But it's not the first time, you know, there's been wars, there's been different times this has happened. There is going to be a response to this afterwards. Um, but I think we're all trying to do the best we can at the moment. And I think it's just about attending to the child and just being aware that if that child is, is starting to feel over anxious, frightened at all, listen, pick up on it, be aware. It's hard at the moment with children having to have all the homeschooling and the parents have taken on so much. But it will end. We need to remember this is going to end at some point. <laughs> Thank you, Claire. That's reassuring words for everyone, I suspect. Claire, I'm really grateful you joining me. Thank you so much. I know that your words there will have been really helpful to a good number of people. Good luck over the next few weeks and months. And I hope that you're finding that the children you're meeting are finding their way through this. Thank you. Claire's work is thankfully quite limited at Cargerfield, but... As teachers, we're getting it better at managing the first signs of worry ourselves. Mental health first aid courses are increasingly popular and help us to see if a child's worries are something a little bit of our time and care, and generally some dialogue with parents can help to solve. In truth, the problems for older children are often well documented, but I was particularly interested to, to get the insight of those working with our pre-prep children those who are up to the age of eight. Emma Buchanan is the head of our pre-prep department, as well as taking a lead on support for learning and child welfare in the school. So I was interested to get the benefit of her experience. And I started by asking her what the P3 children in her class were enjoying during lockdown. Well, it was quite a varied list. They were enjoying having the opportunity to catch up with their friends on Teams. And I know that they enjoy coming on to the lessons a bit early so that they can have a chat. And I know that later on in the day, they often phone each other up just to catch up. Um, and that seems to be working really well for them. Some of them are having the opportunity when they go out for the daily exercise to perhaps meet up with a friend in the park and kick a football around a bit. And I know that some of them have been going to football and tennis, which has given them the opportunity to see some of their friends. And I think for them, that has been something really good and has made them feel a lot better. Other children are enjoying playing in the garden, doing stuff with their parents, like building dens, cooking, going on cycle outings, climbing, even I heard from, from one of them. And some families have started some new hobbies. So the children have really enjoyed that. And the importance of pets, I think, has come across loud and clear. Not everybody, of course, has a pet, 
But often in the mornings, we do a, a review of what the what the class pets have been up to and 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 you'll they'll come online and I'll bring my dog and they'll just say hello and wave a paw or whatever and we hear about the adventures and the bad behavior and obviously cuddling a pet is really helping some children but if you don't have a pet to cuddle then another family are cuddling their teddies and I think they're going to find a cuddle with mum or dad so I think having a cuddle is really important. Sounds like great advice. You've obviously been working with this age group for a long time and using your judgment and and looking at things now, what would be the most important pieces of advice you'd give to parents in terms of maintaining their children's mental health at the moment? Well, I think one of the most important things is routine. Children always like a routine. So it's important that they know what's happening on a daily basis and that there's differentiation between weekdays and weekends. So they know that they have a time to get up in the morning and then time is set aside for schoolwork, time set aside for play and structured meal times, perhaps with the family. And there's always a set bedtime because children do get very easily tired and being on computers a lot doesn't help. So I think the routine is important. All of those sound really good things, Emma. Um, And I can see that routine is clearly important here, eating well, sleeping well and regular habits. But if if as a parent, you're short of time at the moment, perhaps you're you're working very hard yourself to keep your business going or your employer's making a lot of demands on you. you, you haven't got a huge amount of time. What's the one thing you've got 30 minutes in the day to spend with your children? What's the one thing that you would be prioritising? What I say during that 30 minutes, you should be doing something with them, whether you're going out for a walk or you're going to spend a bit of time playing with them. You need to create an opportunity where you actually have time to talk and you can catch up with each other and you can really find out how the child is feeling. And if there's anything that they need to talk through with you and if there's anything that you need to do to sort out anything that they're finding difficult. Play is a really good way of children expressing how they're feeling. Often when they're using things like Lego or whatever, they'll just talk away while they're making something. And without having necessarily to give eye contact, I think they will feel freer to speak and they won't feel under pressure. So I think talking and the listening are crucial. So I I think you're saying as well that if 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 you've got if there's one thing you're going to do with your children, it's play with them. I think that will be advice that parents will enjoy hearing. All those of us who are feeling under pressure to be getting homeschooling and, and remote learning happening. Playing with your children is still the most important thing. Emma, thank you very much. Thank you. One other thing we've introduced over the last few years in teaching the children is mindfulness. Um, It's widely seen as a useful antidote to stress and anxiety amongst adults. But the chief advocate for mindfulness amongst our children at Cargerfield is Head of English and Learning Support Teacher Nicola Lyle. I first asked her whether she thought that this activity so often associated with adults, is appropriate for younger children? It's a very relevant question because it seems like mindfulness is this kind of really big-brained and you need to think very, very hard about it. And actually, it's more about mind management and kind of almost brain hygiene. And your mind is a muscle and it requires exercise. So in the same way that you you might learn tennis, starting quite young because you need to build up the techniques 
from quite a young age and you you progress and you get better and better as you get older. The same is true of mindfulness. It's a set of techniques that actually are very simple. They're really, really simple. They, they can be very simply understood if you do them in the right way and better to kind of start as you mean to go on and and to kind of create that healthy mental kind of internal monologue sooner rather than later sort of training your brain uh, to do as it's told that makes it sound quite like a task but my sense (laughs) is that quite a lot of the children really enjoy it why do you think they do One of the reasons they really love the course that we run at school is because they learn about specific parts of the brain. They learn about the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala and the insula uh, and the hippocampus, all these big fancy words. So it feels very important. And it's fascinating to find out what the different parts of the brain does. So actually, it's just genuinely interesting. And also, the brain can be a bit of a mystery. Um, So once you've taught them about the different things that the brain does they suddenly start recognizing their own behavior so for example children who struggle to focus or children who struggle to behave in a way that we would recommend perhaps in the classroom or on the pitches or you know perhaps their behavior just doesn't quite meet the mark every time And you'll often find with children like that, that the explosion will happen. They'll lash out. They'll feel terrible afterwards. And then they won't know why they did it. And that's really, really common. There's kind of no point asking a child, oh, why did you behave that way after they've done it? Because genuinely, probably don't know. But if you can explain to them that they were probably angry or upset and that this little bit, this tiny little peanut sized bit of their brain, had taken over and was lashing out in this kind of defensive attempt to kind of get out of the situation, it suddenly makes them realise it it separates them from their bad behaviour and it reduces that guilt, which is really, really important to to help children to to move on from behaviours that they don't want to do. And it doesn't need to be a big major behaviour like a lashing out at other people or or saying mean things. It might just be a lack of focus in lessons, something really, really simple. If they can know what's causing that and what bit of their brain they should be engaging to prevent that focus drifting off, then it just sort of it builds their skills and lets them know what to do. I I imagine it's something that probably is as important as it can be. I mean, are you conscious of it being something that particular children are using, especially now? So I know that on the school's mindfulness channels, there's quite a few children, you know, they're often liking the videos or commenting. And there's, there's a sort of regular bunch, particularly, I think, with the older children, they're becoming or they're trying to be more self-aware and kind of aware of their behavior and aware of how they are personally reacting to things. And with the younger ones, um, with my own daughter, who's only five, she will say things like, I must be mindful about this, mummy. She's quite philosophical sometimes for a five-year-old. But it has become part of their language, the language of good mental health has become normal language for children. And I think that's so good. If they have the language to talk about how they're feeling, 
and are able to express themselves, it reduces that frustration and that confusion and all that bit where you just you don't know where you stand and you can't really explain why you're feeling sad. The more they're able to kind of express themselves, they're more likely uh, they are to share the problem when it's still quite a nice small little problem and is relatively easily fixed. It's when things kind of get clammed up and build and then kind of increase and become enormous that things get much, much more difficult to deal with. And giving them the language as young as possible to kind of deal with whatever's bothering them and to know what to do with that, it allows you to kind of get to these problems before they really become problems. I really like that idea in the way that we're teaching them French or teaching them music, music composition. They're learning another language, another means of expressing themselves, which is great. Nicholas, lovely to speak to you. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. I think these conversations have reinforced the point that mental health is clearly about good routines. And in fact, there's an awful lot of common sense in what's been spoken. I've noted that some of the advice was repeated by different people and that would suggest that it's all the more likely to be good advice. From my own experience as a teacher, I would add that regular exercise and time outdoors and the opportunity to be creative and imaginative are both important in building happy and confident children. It's why daily sports and a strong programme of creative and performing arts are at the heart of our curriculum at Cargofield. I hope that hasn't come across as too bleak a topic. And in fact, I would point out that at our debating society last week, we debated the motion that there's more to be worried about than to look forward to in the future. You'll be pleased to hear that the motion was soundly defeated. And I would finish by adding that, from what I see of the current generation of younger children, there's an awful lot to be hopeful about. Their resilience, adaptability and positivity help me to feel entirely upbeat going forward. If I'm allowed to close with one particular piece of advice, it would be to parents, not to children. Please look after yourselves through these difficult times, because the most important thing that your children need is you. Your enthusiasm, your patience, your ability to support them is more important than anything else. So please take care of yourselves and make sure that you keep yourselves on an even keel, whatever the pressures you're facing at the moment. Thank you for listening. I hope there's been something useful in this podcast. And do be in touch if there are any issues here where we can point you in the right direction for more advice. Let us know, please, as well, if there are other topics that you would like us to cover in the months ahead. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends who might also be interested. We look forward to seeing you on site at Cargofield very soon.